Welcome to the uh, worship for those who are in person or online or outside the uh, facility here. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for your condolences and prayers on the passing of my mother. She passed on Tuesday and she was buried on Friday uh, in Malaysia, in my hometown. I was able to participate in the memorial service through a Facebook Live on Friday and uh, it was a good send-off for her. She lived a godly life and I, I'm forever grateful for her. She constantly prayed for my ministry and the whole family as well. So I'm grateful for my mother. Um, yesterday was the uh, 20th anniversary of the 9-11. Uh, that crisis pulled our nations together to heal the wounds, to strengthen the homeland security, to rebuild on ground zero, and to bounce back in an amazing way. But unfortunately, our nation is becoming an extremely polarized and divided society again. So we need to pray for our nation to return to God. In the preaching last week, we confirmed our faith in the resurrection of Jesus as the foundation to our faith and our discipleship. Because the hope of resurrection keeps all endings open-ended. It is like the master key that opens every door. And today I want to invite you to embark on a journey with Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 27. So please turn with me to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 27. This is somewhat familiar narrative. Let me just read to you, and you follow along with your Bible. Luke 24, 13 to 27. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them then, Clepas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and all the rulers deliver him up to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said it, but him they did not see. And he said to them, All foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer of these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Today we want to take on a journey, the journey on Emmaus. This is not the best journey but it is a necessary journey to help us to come back to Jesus and allow Jesus to walk with us. The whole passage is very simply divided into conversation with one another and also conversation with Jesus. But we'll start with conversation with one another, which is a necessary process for us to journey together with Jesus. 
See, in verse 13 tells us that that very day, two of them were going to a village in Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. It was the day of the resurrection of Jesus that the disciples walked away, not only from Jerusalem, but from the most significant day in Christian history. Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's about two hours walk, but it seems longer. It seems longer not because of the distance of the landscape. It seems longer because of the burden they bore as they walk on that path. But have you noticed? Even though they walk away, they can't stop talking about Jesus. They have doubts. They wonder. They, they was not sure. But they keep talking about Jesus. The Greek terms used by Luke suggest the intensity of that conversation between the two disciples. The first term it uses, homileo, homiletics, preaching. They talk to each other like preaching, with conviction. And the second term they use is suzeteo, means to investigate. It means to debate about the truth and the reality of Jesus' resurrection and what happened to Jerusalem. It was a very engaging and intense discussion as they were walking along that way. You know, the two disciples are a picture of how we often wrestle with God. Two terms has often been used by people who are in the spiritual formation industry or the realm. It's called consolation and desolation. Consolation means you're in a time of abundance. You feel the closeness to Jesus. And desolation, like in the wilderness, means you will feel far away. Like your soul is in darkness. You can't feel and you can't seem to connect with Jesus. And oftentimes, the two disciples' journey to Emmaus portray a wrestle with God that most of us, if not all of us, will go through in life. Sometimes consolation, sometimes desolation. Oscillating between two extremes like a pendulum clock. But let me remind you, they are not the first ones in the Bible who walked away. Second Timothy chapter 4 talks about a man named Demas. Demas, because of the love of the present war, he deserted Paul and he walked away. In John chapter 6, verse 66, after Jesus preached a, a sermon about, you know, you can drink my blood, you can eat my flesh, symbolically, but they took it wrongly and they turned back and no longer walk with Jesus. They just can't take it. And of course, Luke 22 talks about how Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. He walked away. And you remember in the Old Testament, Job's wife, after she witnessed the suffering that he went through, basically told him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. It's better that way. I can't I can't bear to see you suffer. It's too much suffering. Just curse God and die. That's his wife's advice to him because she can't bear to see him suffering anymore. You know, and as I look at that and I wonder today how many Christians have walked away from their church and their faith in recent months. You know, since we come back to the indoor worship, we thank God that 70% of you came back. But whatever happened to the 30%? Most churches are like that. 70% came back, 30% remained somewhere. 
You know, some are high-risk groups, so they have to stay away for the sake of health. But some have gone to other churches because during their 18 months, somehow they feel like they align better with that certain church. Bless them because they're still going to church. But might be some others, they are not following Jesus anymore. They walked away from faith. And I wonder every week when I come together to worship, as I preach and as we sing praise songs together, how many Christians are struggling with faith every Sunday as we worship? That as you sing praises to honor the Lordship of Jesus Christ and listen to the sermon and try our best to connect with that, and how many of us actually are still struggling in our faith while worshiping together? How many Christians struggle secretly as we sit in the worship, we struggle with sin, with doubts, with bondage, with boredom, with apathy. You know, the numbers might be sizable. Otherwise, the church of Jesus Christ should have a much better track record, a more impactful testimony, and a much better standing in the community. You know, in, in that sense, we, can, we all can identify with the two disciples because they walked away. Because sometimes we walked away from God in different degrees, but every once in a while we did that. Just the oscillating between consolation and desolation and consolation and desolation. So today, as we talk about these narratives, Actually, we see ourselves in there, sometimes in our discipleship with Jesus. But you know what? They journey together. Even though they walk away from Jerusalem, but they have companions. The journey has provided a platform for them to process things together, to reflect together, and to converse together. And that companionship demonstrates the power of faith community as we come together. They might disagree with each other on that, what really happened in Jerusalem, but at least they have each other. And I believe that's what draws us to church. I thank God for the many small groups we have in our church for the purpose of assimilation and community life and accountability. We are fellow pilgrims and companions along the path of discipleship. We come together to share our experiences and feelings and our life situations, and we all enjoy that. And what we think and what we want and what we need are all visions, some visions we're going to, going to accomplish together as a group. And you know what? Oftentimes we thought that once we cast a clear vision for our group, and develop the right curriculum, choose the best-selling book to study, and train and support the small group leaders, and come up with good ice-breaking questions, and create a safe environment for confidentiality, and the community will bond and flourish, naturally. But we often face disappointments when things fell apart, or relationships failed to satisfy An author called Ruth Barton reminds us that Christian community is not and never can be about us. Christian community is not about us, and it can never be about us. 
because you'll be very disappointed very quickly. It is about the transforming presence of Christ in us and what He will do in us and through us and for us. It is about dealing with the good, the bad, and the ugly sides of our imperfect humanity with the transforming power of the gospel and to journey together faithfully for the long haul until Christ's image is formed in us. You see, conversation with each other, companion on the way, fellow pilgrims journeying together, so good, but not enough. Because as you journey together very quickly, you begin to pick on each other. That the initial honeymoon is over and you begin to be, be bordered by a certain behavior, by a certain idiosyncrasies. And you, know, you all know that. So we need to have a conversation with Jesus. Beginning in verse, uh, verses 15 to 17. In verse 17, he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. You know, Jesus must have touched a raw nerve when he inquired about their conversation because the two disciples practically froze into a dejected demeanor. And Jesus, in verse 15, says, Jesus himself he drew near and walked with them, uninvited, but he came anyway because he knows the need of the two disciples. Jesus initiated the whole process of journeying together with us. But verse 16 tells us that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus wants to stay anonymous so that they could process the crisis in faith together. You see, Jesus came as a, as a listener. He came as a listener in our sadness. And there are three characteristics of that listener. One, he was intentional. He was proactive. And two, he asked questions. He was not providing answer. And as a pastor, I often have to admit that sometimes I'm too quick to give answer. Oh, John chapter 4 says this. Uh, book of Zechariah, chapter 10, says this. But Jesus, as a listener, he was just asking questions. He was allowing the two disciples to discover the answer themselves, which is a much better way of learning. And thirdly, he stayed out of the way. He remained anonymous so that his identity as Christ, the resurrected Lord, would not be a distraction for the whole process to work out. And they need that process. And maybe we need a process too. To emerge from fear and anxiety and to emerge from the sense of desolation in our relationship with God. God is the one who answers and listens to our prayers. Psalm 116 verses 1 and 2 says, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my plea for mercy. Because He inclined His ear to me, 
Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. And how many times have Jesus drew near to you without your knowledge? You know how we discover that oftentimes it is usually after the facts, after you have emerged from crisis, after you have recovered from whatever calamity that you suffered from. Only then we begin to recognize the presence of God. I think oftentimes we are very much like Jacob on the run. Jacob's on the run away from Esau's wrath because he took over the, the blessings of the firstborn in Genesis chapter 28, and he was in the wilderness sleeping and dream of that ladder that leads to heaven with angels ascending and descending. And he woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. For the longest time, we thought God is absent. For the longest time, we thought God is almost disappeared from the activities of this world. But all along, he was there. I did not know it that he holds the universe together, that he still sits on the throne. Oftentimes, we felt that way. Jesus came as a listener in our sadness. Listening is powerful. A Christian therapist wrote this piece of article about the power of listening. She said, I did not fully understand the power of stopping and listening until I met Maria. Maria is a middle-aged Puerto Rican woman who came to me with a traumatic history, numerous chronic health issues and symptoms of major depression with hallucinations. She said, for the first few sessions, Maria barely spoke and cried the entire time. I did not know what to do, so I just sat there and holding her hand. And soon Maria began to tell her story of trauma, of suffering, of loss and hopelessness. And she shared that she had never before sought consistent mental health treatment and had never told her story in its entirety. Her medical records accurately listed her diagnosis, but her story elucidated the persistence of her pain. She had been suffering alone in silence for too long. After telling her story, she slowly became more active in her treatment, shared her story with her physicians, and saw improvement in many of her health issues. When the therapist asked her to reflect on her improvement, what happened? How did you improve? She looked at the therapist and said, it is because you listen. It is because you listen. It's the power of listening. And sometimes in the, in the midst of the sadness, it's not so much words of comfort. Bible verses really helps. And there's a time for that. But oftentimes, just being there and listen helped tremendously, tremendously. In our confusion, secondly, Jesus is our guide. Verses 18 to 24. In verse 18 says, Then one of them named Clepos answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? They, they, they were just confused about Jesus' ignorance. 
It's like you talk to an American and say, what? You don't know about 9-11? Where were you? It's unbelievable. It can be. You should know something about that. And it is interesting the way they question Jesus. I think the irony was intentional because Jesus was the only one who, who knows it all inside and outside, inside the tomb and outside the tomb. But they assumed that Jesus did know anything. So Jesus asked them, what things? What? And it was intentional because Jesus wants them to retell the story. And in the midst of retelling the story, they begin to discover the gospel story, the resurrection story, and their own story, their encounter with God. You know, I wonder if Jesus asks you today, right now, what things? What would you tell Jesus? Most likely COVID-19. Most likely our fears and anxiety and insecurity. Our sadness when loved ones passed. Like where is God in the midst of all this? And our despair about the future. It's getting just worse and worse. Look at the environment. Can we even survive the next 10 years? The roller coaster ride that was so long and we felt nauseating and spinning and wonder when will we get back to the ground? Probably that's how you will tell Jesus. In our confusions, Jesus is our guide. What are the confusions about those two disciples? First of all, they are confused about Jesus. Verse 19, they says, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, didn't you know? And they acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet, and Jesus was mighty before God and before people, and Jesus was crucified by the religious workers and the authorities. But their hope was dashed. In verse 21, they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And how we wish that can become a reality. And now, he's dead. Where is he? Heard about the, the empty tomb, but where is the body? Where is Jesus? Their hope was dashed because they were, they were hoping that Jesus would be the political Messiah to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were confused about Jesus. Secondly, they were confused about the waiting. It's getting too long. Verse 21, the second part. He says, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. It's been three days. They were hoping that something significant will happen within these three days. As Jesus said, in three days I will rise again. But it has been three days. And with Every subsequent day, their hope is diminishing day by day and day by day. The longer you wait, the more despair you become, right? Some of you might be feeling that way. When is it going to end? When are we going to come out of the wood? We're still in the midst of Delta. And then we're talking about Lambda. And then we're already talking about Mu, virus. And then the next one will be Nu, you know, all the Greek alphabets will be all exhausted. And we are still in the midst of this crisis. Oh my goodness, when is it going to be over? They were confused about waiting. How long do we have to wait? And thirdly, 
they were confused about the women's report, beginning verse 22. He says, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. And if you read that episode of the description, the narrative there, they, they know all the details of the report, and they reflected accurately as the women has reported in verses 1 to 12. But they are more confused than ever. Accuracy of information doesn't guarantee security and restedness in Christ because they did not see Jesus. Verse 24 says, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him, but him, they did not see. You see the emphasis? But him, Jesus, but him, they did not see. They saw the empty tomb. That is verified, but where is Jesus? They want to see Jesus in person. They were confused about Jesus, confused about waiting, and confused about the women's report, and how Jesus, being a guide, guided them along the way. You notice that Jesus allowed them to retell the story, to get the narrative right, and in retelling the story to discover Jesus' resurrection and how it relates to them, and hopefully they can see themselves in the story. There's a power in retelling the story. There's a power in retelling your gospel story. There's a power in telling how you walk with Jesus. And they were also allowed to reflect on the empty tomb because they acknowledged that, yes, the tomb is empty, but where is Jesus? Could it be that he was resurrected? And if he's not resurrected, where else can he be? Jesus was forcing them to wrestle with those issues before they can move on. You know, there is power in retelling the gospel story. There is power in reflecting on the Sunday sermons that we give week after week. Because in retelling and reflecting on that message, you gain new insights. It is interesting that we often talk about weather and sports and food and traffic, but our faith is something that we guard very closely. Uh, we feel it's too personal to share. In some ways, we privatized our spiritual life. It's a private matter, door closed. You know, superficiality in faith, superficiality in Christianity is a sign of our times. And the privatization of our faith contributes to the superficiality of our faith. Because our faith is not reiterated and tested often enough in the community. So it's not real. It's not as certain as we hope that it should be when we reiterate and test it often enough in the Christian community. But we don't have that when we keep it private. I really want to encourage you to engage in discipleship, in sharing your gospel story, in sharing how Jesus walked with you as a way to deepen our faith in Him. In our confusion, Jesus is our guide. And finally, in our slowness in understanding, Jesus is our expositor. Beginning in verse 25, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and 
enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus, as an expositor, opened the minds of the two disciples to the whole scheme of salvation for mankind and reminded them that crucifixion precedes glorification. It is necessary. You know, some are foolish, some are slow, but these two disciples are foolish and slow. And they need Jesus to walk them through God's plan of salvation. So Jesus gave them a Christ-centered exposition, pointing out that the Old Testament foreshadows what Jesus has achieved on the cross that the Old Testament is the fulfillment in Jesus. And he began to open up the Word of God and share with them, and their faith was strengthened, and there is no record in the Bible about what he said. But it could be he began with Genesis 3 and said, you know what, I am the seed of the woman who crushes the serpent's head. And then he might move to Genesis 6 to 8, about the great flood and say, I am the true ark and into which the sinners can enter safely and sail through the waters of divine judgment. And he might touch Genesis 22 when Jesus reminded them of the story of Isaac and how he was offered as a sacrifice, but God has provided a ram as a substitute, and that's a picture of Jesus. And he might move to Exodus 12, and say, I am the true Passover lamb who protects the sinners from divine judgment. And he might move to Exodus chapter 16 uh, when God provides manna and told them that he was the true manna from heaven through his incarnation. And the day of atonement, picture him, and he made it clear that he was not only the sacrifice on the altar, but he was the scapegoat who took away sin from the Israelites' community. And he might end in Isaiah 53 and said, you know, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid iniquity of us all on him. Jesus as an expositor, telling, explaining the word of God clearly and how it is being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. Crucifixion, on the cross to achieve redemption for mankind. So when you can't see the finish line, I want to encourage you to stay on the path and let Jesus walk with you. You might be in a desolation of your faith right now, doubting and wondering, marginalized, and very much like the two disciples on the path to Emmaus and wondering how, how, how much longer do I have to walk with Jesus? When you can't see the finish line and wonder, when can I uh, be faithful? Stay on the path and let Jesus walk with you. In my closing, I just want to encourage those who are sad this morning. I want to remind you that Jesus is our listener. He listens. You can approach Him through prayers. It has been a long time since you prayed to Jesus. I want to encourage you to come to the prayer meeting online, but also pray. 
pray to Jesus. He's a listener. For some of you who are confused, there's so many fake news and, and, and all kinds of stories, conspiracies, but Jesus is our guide. You need to retell the gospel story because when you keep retelling the gospel story, you'll find your own identity in Christ. And that's where you will meet Jesus. You'll find your own identity in Christ through retelling the gospel story. And for those of you who are slow in understanding and still wondering, what is it all about? What is Jesus all about? What is that cross and the empty tomb? And what, what are these all about? Well, submit yourself to the teaching of God's word. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. The truth will set you free. Jesus will set you free. And for some of you who feel like I am on the road to Emmaus, doubting, wondering, questioning, not very certain about how I want to follow Jesus, Today, I want to invite you on another road, road to Calvary. It is the road of Calvary that will take you to the cross of Jesus. It is at the cross of Jesus that everything makes sense, that we are created by God, but we sin against God, and our relationship is broken, and sin enters into our lives and dominates our lives. And it is through Jesus who offer himself perfect, to satisfy the wrath of God so that the wrath of God is placed upon Jesus' shoulder and God's righteousness through the grace of Christ, through the grace of God, is being placed on us. And God sees us as righteous through the cross, through Jesus Christ. And we are reconciled with God the Father. Everything begins to make sense. And we are here to glorify God in our lives, in our marriages, in our community life, in our church life, to be His witnesses until He comes again. At the foot of the cross of Jesus, everything falls in the right places. So on, the, on, the, on the road to Emmaus, I want to ask you to divert and make that journey to the road to Calvary, to the foot of the cross of Jesus. That's where it makes sense. In this new season, and before I even talk about the new buildings and new opportunities and ministries and all that, last week I reminded the church to be grounded in the doctrine of the resurrection. And today, I want to encourage you to walk with Jesus. I, I pretty much spent my whole life in church. Grew up in church. Well, left the church for a few years and wandered a little bit. But since then, I came back to church. God called me to be a pastor very early in high school. I went straight to Bible college and been a pastor for close to 40 years now. I've seen it over and over again. That whether intentionally or unintentionally, knowingly or unknowingly, oftentimes we don't have God in church. We have God plus in church. That people don't often come to church for God, but for God plus. The accessories 
is that when you buy a computer, there are so many accessories, the earplugs, the, uh, the adapters, you know, you can add on this and add on that, you know, and, and make it nicer, but you never bought the computer. You bought all the accessories. We love the church because of the social life that we gather together. We love the small groups because that's where I can find my accountability. We love that worship team because the songs they have selected just resonate with me. But we don't often love God. We love what God can provide, but not God himself. And that's my fear, is that it becomes a new normal. But that's normal. That's why we come to church. My kids get mentored. My children get to play basketball. And they have this visitation to watch over my elderly parents that I can't be there every day. But this church, they have good people. They go there and help them. And every Thursday, I can send my elderly mother or father to come to this church. They have this community seniors activities here. But God, well, let, let, let's, let's not deal with God. It's, it's too awesome. Uh, let, let me just deal with what God can provide. Isn't that quite accurately in some ways describe your Christian walk? You know, I get this insight from Eugene Peterson. <laughs> Eugene Peterson said one time he started a church in Washington, D.C., beginning in the basement, people start coming, and the church start growing, and it came to the point where they can't hold it anymore, and they say, let's go into the church building program, and people donated, helped out, and the church plot was bought, and, you know, the small church building was being erected, and then they had the dedication service, hoping and looking forward to robust growth in that church. And, and he, was, he was shocked to discover that people, the, the attendance began to dwindle. And he was like, what happened? I, I thought we were doing great. Now we have a bigger facility with more sitting capacity. What happened to the people? So he talked to the uh, headquarters of the denomination, and they advised him, you know what? You need to start another project because people need vision and project to feel excited. Your first project of church building is done. And for those who are type A, looking for things to do, there's nothing else to do. Now it's about worshiping and singing and grow deep in Christ. And that's not their take. So start something before they all disappear. And Eugene was like, I, I don't think that is called church. I think that is called like community center. But I'm building a church. I want people to know God and not know about God or what God can offer. As we move forward together, church, walk with Jesus. We, we, we all praise the Lord for all the blessings the church can provide for us, but you need to know Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. 
personally. Let's pray. Lord, ah, oh Lord, today we do a little bit of soul searching. And unfortunately, we have to admit that sometimes we are really into the God plus kind of a faith and experience with you. We really enjoy all the accessories that you can provide for us in the church. But God, we don't know that much. And it's okay as long as we are in good terms. But Lord, that is not the kind of a faith that we are called into. We are called to walk with Jesus. And Jesus said, come, deny yourself, take up the cross to follow me. Not to follow the church, not to follow the pastor. Jesus said, come and follow me. And therefore today, we felt challenged to draw near to you, to walk with Jesus, to know you personally, and to grow deep in Christ. So that as we journey together as a church in this new season, that we are grounded. We are grounded in the doctrine of the resurrection. We are grounded in the deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that nothing, that nothing can sever. And it is on that basis we built our ministry, we built our family, we built our community outreach, and we built global missions, and we built our church. So draw us to you, Lord. Draw us to you and help us to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.